No one will be admitted after the guests check in. Starting? Whenever you want. Whenever I want? Well, I guess we can start. I guess we're still podcasters. Welcome to Motel Hell! Coming at you in true blue stereo. I go, ah. 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 Is that coming out different speakers or different headphones? I don't know how any of this works. Yeah, so the balance should be a little bit... On one channel to my voice, a little bit on a different channel to Ben's voice. We'll see how this sounds when I go to edit it. Either I'll hate it and have to live with it, or I'll love it and hope you do too. Over on this side, I'm Ben the Beardo. And I'm Dick the Slick Rick Fetty. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was li- I listened to some of our old stuff mm-hmm. uh, recently and forgot at one point we just had like 19 different nicknames. Yeah. I think at one point you were just called God. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. We were funny back then. What happened? Good orderly direction. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. So, yeah, we uh, we managed to squirt out, like, four episodes this year. I think, <laughs> actually, I was looking at my um, folder for editing, and I think there's an episode I never edited that we actually recorded at BDMFT that's now four months late, so I'm sure it'll be timely and, you know important we're just the john toronto podcasters now it's just you know so with less racism paid, yeah and we don't get paid yeah yeah so exactly the same but no uh you know i think it's always a lot of fun for us to do our year end recaps and you know the nice part about the podcast is that however infrequent it may be we get to talk about the things that we do like during the year so stuff we've already touched on elden ring being uh, especially the case we're not going to go into a super deep dive tonight when we talk about our favorites of the year. Psych, we're talking about Elden Ring again the <laughs> Two whole time. Hour podcast. <laughs> what do you know? What do you don't know? Uh, I'm going to read the script from Vadi Vidya's videos and t- tell you that it's mine. But no. So, uh, but you know, it's just, it's a, it's a fun way to start the new year. Hope to get back on a better recording schedule. Know that that'll fall apart by April, et cetera, et cetera. So. That's true. It will. Yeah. So I think we should start with movies and start with our movie review and then jump into the rest of the movies for 2022. Okay. All right. Oh, that's a dip hit from Scrubs. Zach Baggins, yeah. Baggins? Speaking of Zach's, Barbarian 2022, directed by Zach Kreger. Of the Whitest Kids You Know fame. Yeah. I think one of the other guys from the Whitest Kids You Know also directed a horror movie i'm not don't quote me on that but i'm pretty sure that's a thing oz perkins yes well oz perkins isn't from the white kids you know i don't think but <laughs> i don't know their he, names he did direct the black hood's daughter and all the other movies he directed i think he was an snl guy though i guess i mean the thing is is it tends to be people who either aren't someone you'd expect to make a horror movie or don't 
usually make horror movies and then make a horror movie, I tend to enjoy them. Sure. And I guess, do we want to... We'll have to give you pretty limited on Barbarian if we're not going to give spoilers, right? Yeah, no, we really can't talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> this so... This is a bad decision. No, I mean, all I would say is I saw the trailer for this when I went to see Bodies, Bodies, Bodies in the movie theater, uh, in which my wife and I were the only two people in the movie theater, which was really fun. And uh, it seemed interesting, and... I kind of had an idea of where it was going to go. Like, I know that it's it's one of those where, you know, part of it is, like, you don't know what's going to happen, but it was also, like, I've seen enough horror movies and enough horror movies that attempt to, like, do big twists to have... I had a pretty good idea of where things were heading. Um, See, I kept out of it completely. I didn't watch any trailers. I just knew that Bill Skarsgård was in it, and I wanted to know nothing more because I kept seeing... Supposed to being like go into this movie totally blind. Yeah, well, I mean, all I saw was the trailer like six months ago, so I basically was. But it was just as soon as it started, I had a feeling of like what was, how, you know, what they were gonna do. But I, I would say I liked it. It was definitely not my favorite movie of the year, but I think we've had a pretty good year as far as horror movies that are doing decent narratives and having, you know, like they, they don't skimp on the gore and the violence and the grotesque and all that, but they still, um, but they'll also have like good directing, good art design, you know, they're like well-made competent, smaller movies. And Mm -hmm. this definitely felt like that. I didn't necessarily love some of the choices that they made, but it certainly felt like it was cohesive in its visual language and you know what it was trying to do as i said to ben there was an aspect of the film that they really use early in the film and i mean they use it throughout but the early part of it is super effective but then once it stops being the main horror uh it it becomes i don't know what they replace it with doesn't work as well for me and i can't really say it's like the second half of resident evil 7 (laughs) but you never play it there's a point in that game where you're no longer being constantly... Oh, I played seven. Did you play it? Yeah, I remember I beat it in, like, a sitting. Did you? Yeah. Well, you remember the point where the Baker family starts chasing you? Yeah. It's just the the mold? The yeah. molded? Yeah. Far less scary. Yeah. Well, it's also... I mean, basically, once you get to the brother's house, like, you gotta do that puzzle and get through trip mines, and, and then it's pretty much all... I like that part, but it's all kind of... I also like the whole game. Yeah. I love that game, but... Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think you liked it based on your reaction more than I did. I but I did like it, and I'm. It's one of those where I'm glad to see it, even if it's not going to be, uh, like my favorite movie, which I want to talk about next of the year. Uh, not the kind of thing I'll be running back to, but definitely the kind of thing if we watch this at a Halloween party, I'd be like, hell fucking yeah. So, and I probably will improve my estimation, even if my rating would stay the same um, in the future. So, I'd say it's like. We're talking five stars, 3.75 for me, something like that. Yeah, I'd say about that. Yeah. I don't know if i give it a full four, because there's, there's just so many... As far as horror movies go, there's so many good horror movies that came out this year. That is accurate. So you want to jump into... I think you know my favorite, right? I'm not actually sure. Okay. So... I have three movies I picked, and then we can add in, obviously, whatever you want, and then I have one TV show, miniseries, whatever. 
But my favorite movie of the year was Men. And oh, yeah. I am forgetting one movie. I do want to talk about Northman, which isn't on this list, but it oh, I yeah, saw Yeah, I watched them. Northman this year, too. Oh, it's did you, my did list you finally see it? Yeah. Oh, cool, okay. Yeah, so I saw that, like, a month before I saw Men, and I, and I, I do want to jump to that maybe next. But, yeah, so Alex Garland has been has sort of become one of my favorite filmmakers and it's interesting because like I saw Annihilation for the first time three years ago I guess and no yeah wow yeah I guess like he's, three he's like spooky uh Denis Villeneuve yeah I could say that's pretty fair and I think he he does his movies may not reach some of the same lofty heights in some ways, but, like, as far as... Especially looking at Ex Machina and then Annihilation, it was like, this is a guy who knows how to tell a really concise uh, sci-fi story really effectively. And and I would say, like, I give him big props because Ex Machina is, like, basically a perfect little sci-fi film. I haven't seen Moon in ages, but that's another one of those movies where it's just, like, a very tight, like, mm-hmm. just well-told single story in a universe that's like, oh, man, I'm, like, really enjoy this, but it also just, like, ends appropriately. And Annihilation has the horrifically bad framing device of it being told, you know, what happened is being told by Natalie Portman, and I fucking hate that. Um, Yeah. You know, to an extent, uh, or I don't, I hate that 100%, but in the... You know, it's not the whole movie's not like that, but it's it's a framing device that completely is unnecessary and feels like such a studio. Somebody said like make it clear kind of thing, and it's it it undercuts some parts of the movie for me. But in spite of that, I still think it's one of like my favorite. You know, probably probably close to top five of the last ten years. Probably so. the one of if not the best Lovecraft adaptation. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's also it's great because it's based on a totally different book but that book and and the visual way they tell it has that color out of space feels like deeply embedded in its dna um but anyways we're not here to talk about those movies we're here to talk about men and the reason i bring that stuff up is that by the time i saw the trailer for this which i saw at northman i was like i am fully on board for anything Alex so Garland wants to give me and i did not know uh the shtick of the there are two male actors in the movie and one of them plays all the male roles except for the one other role played by the other actor. And I didn't even realize it for like a decent chunk of the film. I was like, this seems weird. It seems like it's the same guy. But I was like, eh, I don't know. From British people. And, uh... They all look the same. And then I was like, oh, I mean, there's this, there's one character he plays where it's like a weird sort of CG on like a child, but like it's so off-putting it works for me. Um, but to me, the real star of the film was the fucking outrageously gorgeous cinematography combined with the absolutely dread-inducing score. Mm-hmm. And I I saw it with Alexa, and there's this part in the film where the main female character, or the main character, goes into this tunnel after, like, a long walk through the woods and is, like, singing into it, and then at the far end of the tunnel sees someone stand up and start to seem to, like come at her and it scares her and it is fucking terrifying and they're definitely naked yeah and it's like just basically a silhouette at first so you don't know exactly who this person is but the whole presence of that person and if you've ever done urban exploring like 
that's the nightmare is like you think you're in a desolate isolated place and you're gonna take cool pictures and suddenly a crackhead pops up and you're like fuck you know and and from pretty much that point until the last like 15 minutes of the movie my Alex and I were like just clutching one another's hands in terror and that that's really for me the big thing is that I understand there's you know horror is subjective and all the rest of that but I found the movie to be like kept me permanently on the edge of my seat and in a state of like insane tension and like <clears throat> fear of what was going to happen because the rules of the movie were not entirely clear and there's like pretty quickly some kind of like supernatural shit that's like happening but maybe isn't and and it they it just plays it all really well it's the like, green man the yeah right and it, it's interesting because it's like i'm not a big folklore kind of guy with i am that stuff but i knew who the green man was i've watched enough full core in my time to be like oh shit and we we live in new jersey you've done acid or drank in a backyard where someone's parents had one of them like fucking nailed to a tree yeah yeah so it it was i was like utterly enthralled and then when it gets to the last little bit of the movie i Ugh. was i was just like Woo. i because i knew going into it that it wasn't getting like nearly as high of ratings as these other films and i was like oh i see why people must be deeply like, because it gets to a level of grotesquerie that is, for a lot of people, like, their reaction is going to be, they can't make sense of it, so they just start laughing at it, and I get that. But as somebody who, again, is, like, deeply, my, my film interest is deeply rooted in, like, body horror, I was like, oh, yeah. shit. It, it, it hit a niche of body horror that I had never seen before. It was, yeah. And the, the whole movie is just a constant stream of, discomfort and terror there like there is no in between it's either you're completely uncomfortable or horrified like there's no there's no break there's no break there's no like (laughs) nice little moment no yeah well it was it was funny too because um before mariah and i watched it because you'd already kind of explained some of it to me without giving me any spoilers and i had a decent idea of what i was getting into being is that we watch so many goddamn movies. Right. And I, you, I, I think you had mentioned to me that it got a little, um, I don't know weird is the term you used, but like uh, a little more out there. Yeah. And she had never seen Ex Machina, so we had watched that like the day before mm. or a couple days before. And then we watched Men and we got to that body horror scene and she was like, What? the fuck and yeah. I was like this is awesome but didn't she also call it like me where I realized like the the things that you're seeing are in direct relation yes 100% yeah. she did yeah yeah so it and it was interesting because I don't want to harp on this too much because ultimately I don't want to give it too much credence but I I try I can't but help myself most of the time of trying to find people online who were able to interpret things and enjoy things the same way that I did. And so, like, I looked on Letterboxd at reviews of it pretty quickly after, and it was trending, like, a little bit higher in its ratings than on, like, other Metacritic-type sites. But it was so interesting to see the amount of, like, are you watching the same movie kinds of reviews, you know? And especially so many of them of, you know, men who felt attacked that the movie was saying all men are bad, and it's like dude, you're missing the point. Or they were like, oh, it's just another movie about how trauma haunts people. And I'm like, 
yeah, I don't know. It's like a real thing. And my job since May, I deal exclusively with domestic violence. And the movie is like in part about domestic violence and the cycle of that. And I was just like, this is very real. Like there's it's some surreal body horror towards the end. But as far as like the way that it portrays these relationships and the way that they haunt the people involved, I was like, this this isn't even a, like a metaphor. This is, I mean, part of it is, it's, I mean, the big chunk of the movie is, but on the other hand, it's like, no, this just feels like an extremely brutal portrayal yeah. of the reality of these things. So it's always so disheartening to realize like most people have such intensely small world experiences. And so like, they're like, oh yeah this is a piece of shit. And I'm like, fuck you. You never directed anything in your life. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so it was, it was, it was definitely a movie that generated like really like groan inducing dialogue about it. Like, you know what I mean? Or, or conversation about it, I should say. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I didn't even think about this until we were, we're talking about trauma and movies about trauma real quick. I want to bring up a movie that I saw this year that I absolutely fucking hated, yeah. which was smile. Okay. Which is all about trauma, and I think they refer to the monster in the movie as the trauma demon, and it's passed through people gaining trauma, so like somebody will kill themselves in front of somebody else, and then mm-hmm. that person will have it. It's like a bad version of It Follows. Okay. And it, like, it, there was like, I'm fine with suspe- like, like suspension of, of disbelief. Like, disbelief and everything, yeah. but like, there's some parts of this movie because she like dated a cop and he's like, and she's like breaking these files and like looking to these like suicides and everything and he just like does it but I guess vagina is a powerful tool. Sure. Um, and it just it, it felt like it was almost trying to do the same thing as men was but not well at all and yeah. ended in, it didn't have to end in a in a high note but the way the the way the movie was made. It was very much in the vein of like, um, uh, what was that movie with the Bagul? What the fuck was that movie? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Kevin Bacon in it? Yeah, not Kevin Bacon. It wasn't it Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, yeah. Yeah, it's like, in. it's not Insidious, but it's something like that. Yeah, um, where like, you know, it's like the, uh, the, the main character's doing research on the thing. And I thought it was going to go that way. And I was like, I could go for something like that. And it just ended really shitty. And the main character ends up dying. Spoiler: the movie sucks anyway. But um, yeah, it, it's just so funny because like those two movies came out and they're roughly about similar things, and um, one is actually really terrible. Mm. And from what I understood, a lot of people loved that one because it was less artsy. Yeah, well, I also think that you know, it's sometimes it's about when you see movies in your life, and so sometimes. It's not, uh, it's like you're have trouble connecting with something that might be a little bit more nuanced or creative or whatever. And it's like nice to get the message. Like, I mean, I remember watching the matrix reloaded as a kid and being like, this is awesome. And like, I genuinely, genuinely am interested in these philosophical debates about need and man and machine. And then I watched as an adult, I'm like, this fucking heart garbage. Like, this is not a good movie. The first one's good. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing though. Like. It, it felt like it was about trauma, but you couldn't really tell what point it was trying to make about right. it. No, no. I mean, ultimately, I think that the reason Men, for me, is my favorite movie of the year is that it it is it deals with that stuff, but it's also like, it's a good movie on every level. And 
uh, Sinister is the name of the movie with Thank the pool. And uh, I just want to look up. It's Jeff Barrows, and uh, I the other guy's name is escaping me. Who does the music? And give me one sec. Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury. So they've done all of Alex Garland's movie movies. Jeff Barrow is um, was one of the members of uh, Portishead, which is like calling them trip hop is. Uh, a bit of a wild oversimplification, but needless to say, he's like one of the greatest living musicians out of the UK as far as like electronic, down tempo, whatever, like all sorts of stuff that I absolutely adore. And it's interesting too, because Portishead have become of that like trip hop type stuff. I mean, there's not necessarily a need to pick favorites, but they're the ones I go back to the most anymore. Like I listen to Tricky a lot when I still smoked weed and Massive Tack was the same way. And now like, what Portishead offers is something a little bit more refined as a 30 plus year old. It's like, uh, yeah. we're still talking about man. Yes. <laughs> uh, but anyways, like, you know, it was the music, it was the performances. And again, like in a movie that is two actors essentially for almost the, basically the entire movie, it is like, they carry it. They are able to do that. And yeah. you know, it, part of that's writing, it's directing, it's everything. It's all those things. But the script is very good, and the performances are incredible, and then the rest of it looks and sounds amazing. And the man just shoots in locations that I want to be. Like, yeah. every single one of his movies, I'm like, ooh, pretty, I want to be there. Yeah, I mean, and, but I also would say, like, the part of what makes Alex Garland work so well for me is that all of his movies have incredible music. Like, Annihilation's uh, climax is in part a climax because when the whole lighthouse scene happens, like, that fucking music is basically just, like, uh, a soundtrack version of Autoker, especially modern Autoker. It's this, this, like, hyper, like, it's it's very high-tech level, like, you know, not even, it's like sound sculpture shit. Mm-hmm. And then it's happening with all the that shit that's happening and you get these like like but then there's also these violins and and then all the shit they do with human voices like that whole when they watch the handheld camera video and it's like the all just like vocal choir stuff and it's it makes the movie go from having like it could be an amazing movie with like a whatever score to being like a movie i'm half watching because the music is so fucking good with it so But I think, should you want to talk about Northman? Yes. So, all I'll say is that it's definitely not a misfire or anything else like that. I I had high expectations. I also had no idea, and I, I had to laugh. It was only until the movie was over. Like, I didn't know it was an adaptation of Hamlet. Like, I understood that the plots were similar, but... And that his name is just an anagram of Hamlet. And I was like, oh, doy, but... Uh, but I'm also not a big fan of the Bard, and... Um, that didn't add or subtract to me. Like, because Hamlet in some ways is a pretty dumb story, even if it's a well-written play. But, like, sort of the plot points of it are like, that's the plot device we're going with. Um, was that a fart or was that the dog? That was the dog. Oh, okay. I don't know. I, it's not, it's not I would have pointed, pointed it towards the mic, man. That's uh-huh. great Ape content yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it was visually an incredible film. But I think the two things that really hurt it for me were, A, that he did The Lighthouse and The Witch before it, which are just yeah. movies that are more to my taste. And B, I had an incredible psychedelic Viking film 
called Valhalla Rising I saw like 15 years before. And this is like a way bigger budget, way more ambitious type of telling of that. But this was basically like, it felt like The Revenant meets Valhalla Rising, but I like, I don't know that I like Valhalla Rising more, but it's definitely a movie I'm more likely to rewatch, like, than The Northman. It's it's either I get to see Mads Mikkelsen topless or I get to see a Skarsgård topless. Like, I don't fucking care. Yeah, no okay? one's losing. I don't care. Yeah. But I thought it was I thought it was gorgeous. I thought that there was still a fair amount of weirdness. Uh, even Bjork's appearance was worked well. <laughs> and obviously, like Willem Dafoe had uh, he was a little bit of a scene stealer in his little bits he had early on. I just I I I, I just I just rewatched the first two John Wick movies too. I'm like, oh. Man, I fucking love Willem Dafoe. Oh even yeah, the first one. The baby's crying, so we're going to have to try to entertain him, and hopefully he'll be good for that microphone. Um, Just a lovely I almost brought The Lighthouse tonight, funnily enough. And, oh, yeah. Because I, I don't think I've watched it since I got it on Blu-ray, and yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. I, I think... I mean, the thing about The Northman is is it's it's one of those where it's... If you like a movie, I feel like, like The Revenant, you're going to like it. It's a movie that's, you know, full to the brim of pathos and definitely has that kind of, like, classic tragedy kind of big heavy going with it. But it's also, because of that, it feels like, I don't know. I like Valhalla Rising because it's so much more mysterious. Like, it tells an epic story, but it does it in a very, like, minimalist way. And, you know... I can appreciate... And then the other thing that really pissed me off is, like, there's all these opportunities for Hang and Dong, and they don't show any male nudity. And I'm like, that's fucking horseshit. Like, you know what I mean? I just... I've been wanting to see that man's balls since I watched True Blood. Yeah, and I feel like that's... that. I don't think that was an actor's decision. Like, that seems like... I don't think he would have cared. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, have you seen the rest of him in that movie? He's, like, sculpted by the gods, and you're just like, show me your dick. Like, just show it to me. I don't We've understand. seen his dad's dong on film, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. We have to have. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, it, the thing is, is it, well, it's, The Witch and The Lighthouse are very contained. Yeah. They're much smaller in scope, because it's, it's one thing happening in one place for the whole movie. Yeah. And I don't think that he can't do a movie like that I think it's just it, it, it's a weird juxtaposition because it's it's an adventure movie it's what it is it's the mummy but artsy yeah you know what I mean it, 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 he goes on this huge adventurous journey I really did like the end fight scene though yeah that was, was the fun. part that kind of like I thought on the one hand it was really cool but it was also like not that's just not what I wanted like it looked no. beautiful and all the rest it's just, like, those kind of epics don't typically grab me. Part of the reason why I found The Revenant to be so effective was that it wasn't like those kinds of epics because it was just... It was way more in the vein of classic... Well, both spaghetti westerns and also really more, like, revisionist westerns. It had a lot of unforgiven vibes and, mm, mm-hmm. you know, was basically just this simple revenge story that was, like... Whereas... I would say Unforgiven is largely about the dialogue and performances. Um, the Revenant's way more like half of it's the visuals, you know what I mean? And all the rest of that. But 
I don't know. I just, like, I really love The Revenant, and I felt like I really wanted to love this. And I, it's a it's a good movie, and I would recommend it to anyone, but it just didn't grab me the same way that the others did. But, I mean, that being said, I saw The Lighthouse once in theaters and was blown away, but it's also the kind of movie where it's like, I'd be in a fucking mood to see that, because that's, like yeah. that's like a like a panic-inducing level of claustrophobia between the, the tight, hard... The four-by-three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and just, like, the whole, like, thing of it. And it, it's, like, a hilarious movie, but it's also, like, oh, my God, skin-crawlingly intense. Especially if you know anything about actual light, lighthouse horror stories. And I can never remember the name of it, because I think I talked about this when we talked... I think we've talked about the lighthouse before, but there is, like, an actual story where a guy... Like, there's two guys at a lighthouse... One of them either murdered the other one or the other one killed himself, and he's still stuck out there. So he just had to hang out with this body for, like, like a couple weeks. I'm not going crazy. You're going crazy. You're the dead one. So, why'd you have to spill your beans? Just the amount of, like, farting and cursing and... It's, again, it's like... And cum? There's so much cum in that movie. Oh, yeah, I know. Bad luck to kill a seabird. (laughs) But, yeah, it it is like men where, you know, when you have a movie where it's just two actors and they're just acting their fucking dicks off, mm-hmm. but also feel like they really have that. And especially in that movie where it's like part of it feels like a frat boy comedy and the other part of it feels like soul crushing, like horror, you know, like isolation, lonely horror. Oh, it's just so good. Yeah. But we're really getting a little far afield. Okay. So, um. Movies that came out this year, because I do have movies that I saw this year but did not come out this year. Um, one of which was actually something that you recommended to me that I finally watched. But uh, Hell, the new Hellraiser, man. Did we talk about this? No. The new fucking Hellraiser is so goddamn good. I loved that movie. Uh, and there's like one specific part that really, really stands out in my brain which is uh, when they're in the van and they're driving and the Cenobites are trying to open the portal and like it it like they it seems like they just keep missing the van with it and I'm fucking sitting on my couch laughing and Ryan's like why are you laughing I'm like just imagine Pinhead being like fuck we missed him again back up the portal back up the portal yeah but um I thought it was fucking great I can't remember the actress's name but i thought she did a phenomenal job as pinhead i when it started i was a little bit worried because it seemed a little cheesy when it started sure but so the new hellraiser is directed by david bruckner and the woman that plays the main chick is odessa azion and jamie clayton plays the new pinhead and yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I loved it, but I would say that, you know, it's funny. We've obviously covered the entire franchise, sans the movie right before this, that looks like a Rob Zombie music video, and... Uh, it's got that sepia that all those movies in that time frame did. No, 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 that's the one that's all, like, dry and dusty. It's, uh, I would say it's less sepia and more... There's a little bit of sepia, but it's it's more of, like, just that, like, totally parched look. Yeah, it's, 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 that, like, it's that same look as, like, the Texas Chain, the first Texas Chainsaw yeah. remake. And it's everything. not quite as ugly as that, but, you know, or that fucking Black Christmas remake, which was, like, the ugliest film we've ever seen. Uh, but all I was going to say is, ultimately, for me, like, the Hellraiser franchise is, a is is like, a 
always flawed. Like, there's no perfect Hellraiser movie for my taste. Like, I like the first one, and many aspects of it are both the novelty and, you know, the budget and everything else make it, like, the superior film to the rest of them in a lot of ways. But as far as what I would go back to, like, the first one's up there, but I love the fifth one, and it's not... It's not a great film, like, but... I love Dead World, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Right, I know. So, so all that being said, I would say in many ways, this is, like, the most at least consistent and competent of them all. Um, you know, I, I was worried about the nature of the story. I also called, like, pretty much most of the twists and things like that. That's every movie we watch at this point almost i know i know but it 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 was you know in that way like the the storytelling wasn't super inventive but i did think that overall they captured the essence without turning it into something goofy or like attempt to be edgy or they didn't fall into any of the pitfalls of like hellraiser three through nine so I they was, made a good hellraiser movie. yeah they made a good hellraiser movie and i liked the princess as well i felt like if anything, it was a shame that she didn't get more screen time, but it's also, like, part of... It's always the balance with these things, where it's, like, if you want somebody to really cool, be really cool... It's, like, when Pinhead shows up, like, every ten seconds in some of those later Hellraiser movies, it totally diminishes But the it's effect. also really out of place in those later Hellraiser movies, because they weren't supposed to be Hellraiser Yeah, movies. that's true. It's... They were spec scripts. They were, they were just like, there's some fucking Xenobites in there! Um, oh, who, who we got left? We got, we got Pinhead, we got Chatter. It's all right, just throw them in there. Yeah. So, I'm I'm interested to see what they will do as far as continuing continuing with the reboots. I feel like it was well received enough. It was interesting because it was one of the many movies this year where I saw complaints of people online talking about how like it was so dark they couldn't see what was happening in the second half. I had zero issue with that. I know, like I don't I my T V backlighting and like colors are appropriately tuned. I never have that issue. Or I rarely have that issue. I so many people outside of us actually tune their televisions though. And I think a lot of people watch stuff like during the daytime or other things like that where there's glare and all the rest of it. I mean, we typically watch stuff at night in the dark, like you're supposed to fucking watch a goddamn movie, so but Okay, so that's Hellraiser. I got two more, but if you want to do another. Uh, let's see if I got anything that you haven't seen. I watched The Lobster. Oh, did you love it? I loved it. Yeah. It was just a movie full of autistic people. Yeah, it was, um, it was, I was, I was just mostly kicking myself because I was supposed to see Dogtooth at this Philadelphia film festival, like. 12, 13 years ago, and I kept reading, like, really good buzz, which was, like, his first big movie, and I didn't go see it, and then he just kept making these incredible movies after. I've still been meaning to watch The Killing of the Sacred Deer, and I've still never seen Dogtooth, but I knew, like, I really like Colin Farrell, so I was like, I'm gonna like this, and then I forgot that, uh, what's-his-face is in it? Dr. Steve Rule. Mm-hmm. And so, and then Rachel Weisz is in it. Like, it's just such a weird... It's, it's, it's literally, it, it... I was, our son's autistic, and I watched it with Mariah, and I yeah. was like, they're all autistic. It, it, you, you feel that, because it's all, like, very, like, logic-based, logic, logic based and, like, how they talk to each other, the, like, the way... And, like, these are all... Pe- the people in this movie are all very good actors. Like, they don't have to deliver lines deadpan like that, so it has to be on purpose to a degree. Yeah. Although I don't think that's the invocation, although... The, the no, but this the... is what it felt like. No, no, sure, yeah. And I, that's what I think makes it work so well, is he's, like, one of those people that makes movies that really do feel like 
what the fuck? Like, this is its weird own universe I've never yeah, been in before. Yeah, it definitely built on that with something very subtle. Yeah, and it and it just delivers, um, it like, an experience that, uh, how can I put it? Like, the, the universe feels very consistent within itself, even though it's like, what the fuck? But I, I do want to finish through 2022 stuff before we get into things that we watched for the first time. Oh, my God, no. I wasn't even supposed to mention The Lobster. All right, uh, I do have 2022 things, though. Okay. So let me just say, uh, real quick, bodies, 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 because a lot of these movies are, like, ones where we can't really talk about the, the, what happens at length. Which I did call the twist to a degree, not exactly. Uh-huh. But I did call what was going on, like, as soon as people started dying. Mm-hmm. So, we watched too many movies. Yeah. We understand narrative too well yeah sure sure yeah and also just the you know narrative devices that you know people rely on but yeah so i saw the preview for this at some other movie and i think it was when i saw men and i was like oh that looks fucking great because it was it was really they were hammering in the initial like short trailer i saw for it the all the kind of like language they use and all that shit like this like you know instagram twitter like straight come to life type of a thing and then they did some later trailers that didn't do it justice but the which were the ones that i saw and i was like why does frank want to right see this right so right, right. Like, and then also charlie xcx did like the song for it yeah. which is cool um but yeah, so Alex and I saw it. We saw it in a small theater. There was, like, no one else there. And the the whole thing was, like, basically, if you've ever done coke with, like, in NYU types, and I, like, we both have that, had that experience, it was like, oh, Scary I know. Scary on 61st? No, that's, I do <laughs> want to talk about that movie, but not because it's one of the best. Holy fucking shit. But, um, no, it was like, that's the kind of movies they make, but this is a movie about those people. And yeah. This this was just like it killed me because it's basically an Agatha Christie kind of a film and uh, like sort of a plot. But the I thought the performances were strong and I the dialogue was of course obnoxious, but that was part of the point. But like I've been at these parties, I've been with these people, I've snorted this coke. Like I was like, wow, this is extremely relatable to me and feels very like on point. But it's also. I think a movie that would be extremely alienating for a lot of people that have never had that life experience and are like, these people are insufferable. And it's like, yeah, but like, did you see this is the end? Yes. Okay. So this, this movie is just that one scene from this is the end where Michael Sarah, uh, is on blow and is accusing everyone of stealing his phone and then gets killed by a lamppost and then finds his phone. Yeah. It's just oh my that God, it was right here. Yeah, I don't know that that's uh, a perfect description, but I I think there's a lot of a lot of that kind of a vibe. But yeah, I I thought that it was visually it really worked. I thought it was on all levels a lot of fun and it was like I didn't feel like it was preaching against or for or to. It was just like we're going to dress this up like as, you know, try to be as close to It's just a fun movie. Yeah, and I, you know, and again, like people are like, "Oh, that's not really how young people talk." I'm like, "I don't know. Young people are pretty fucking stupid." Sometimes so, it is. Yeah, and the, the there is there's one line in the the film. It's like a series that's back and forth between two of the girls and I she know, was yeah. like she was like, "You're yeah. She's like, "You're middle like upper class or middle class or whatever." And she was like, "My parents like like what I forget how it goes, but she was like, "Your parents are are university professors. Like you're upper middle class." And she's like, "No, I'm not." Like, cause like she's trying to pretend she's rags to riches, and it's just like, 
it, it's just the whole I'm like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought it was I was I was laughing for like 75% of the movie and, and I think in an intentional way so that's Bodies 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 Helena Ragin so I would recommend but it's probably not to most people's taste so. no it's it's a, it's a fun movie date night movie yeah movie with a couple friends like it's it's not like you know some of the more esoteric art fueled things that we watch or straight up gore fests that we watch but it's a, it's just a fun movie yeah and I think that the nice thing is there's nothing in it I think that you know is particularly like triggering or awful there's no like no. heavy sexual trauma or anything like that so uh, I have one other movie from 2022 I wanted to touch on but go go for whatever you got the other one, uh, I watched two, well, actually, technically, I watched one, two, three, four movies, but one of which you've seen, so I'll wait on that one. Um, Black Phone, a lot of fun. I love Joe Hill. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it's... Ethan Hawke. Yeah, we brought up the Bagul. Yeah. And he does, he's great in that movie. He's terrifying in that movie. And it's very much like a Joe Hill, Stephen King story. Like, it's what it is. It's it's supernatural elements and horror. Although, with Joe Hill versus his father, I feel like his father writes a lot more about, like, what would be considered, like, a childhood fear. Yeah. And Joe Hill tends to write differently. Mm. More as, like, the alcoholic son of some like if that makes sense but um you mean the son of an alcoholic the son of an alcoholic yeah um is it's it's a good movie it's 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 real neat real like little bit of supernatural element to it little bit of murder element to it uh home alone if there was murder okay it's a good movie okay and it's on somewhere streaming for free i can't remember where but okay it's good. Check it out. I like Joe Hill. Yeah. And out of his adaptations of his works that I've seen so far, this is the one I like the most. Okay. Because I didn't... I, I've tried to watch the Lock and Key series. I thought it was garbage. I tried to watch the Nosferatu series. Thought it was garbage. He'll probably get another series or movie at some point. This was actually one of his short, short stories. That was adapted, which some of Stephen King's, some of the movies that were made from Stephen King's stories were some of my favorite stuff. His shorter stuff. Yeah, because a lot of times a shorter story, you're not worried about what you're trimming. You're worried about what you're adding or right. like fleshing out. So. Right. I liked Horns too, but it's also weird to see Daniel Radcliffe in a in a horror movie. Mm. But um, I think this was like the first decent really really decent adaptation of one of his works yeah and it was it was it was exciting and i'm hoping that one day they uh, adapt my favorite story by him in some way which is um heart-shaped box but who knows if that will happen mm. i'm just waiting for the day they do i mean house of leaves isn't joe hill but no talk about a book that could be a really good or very bad movie so fun fact uh there was a pilot script written and you can actually get it because he released it. Oh, yeah? Yes. So he did release a pilot script because they were thinking about doing a series. And from my understanding, they wanted to change too much. But that's off topic. But yeah, yeah he ended up releasing it. I'm 
part of some group on Facebook that he had posted it in and everything. And could have been interesting, but the thing about that book is that you read it is like. Yeah, no, I know that's part of it, but I think some of that can still be translated through like the way that you film something. I mean, just think of uh, the strange color of your body's tears. You know, like that's true. There's a lot of. I don't know if American producers would ever give that the amount of money it would need to really. Man, you never work. Know. You never know. It's my favorite book. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. What else you got? Um, X. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I fucking loved. Yeah. Uh, perfect snapshot of that 70s slasher exploitation film, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And very different set of bad guys than I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that I liked I liked a lot of it. Um, it didn't knock my socks off as much as I was hoping it would, but it was disappointing only because the part I was really that was really starting to get interesting was like the fallout after the one non actress decides to do a little acting and what happens with her and her boyfriend slash cameraman. And now she's Wednesday Adams. Yeah, I know, but it it's like, that was a thread that really didn't need to, like, be exploited more in a horror way, but just as, like, a good, interesting drama, like, kind of thing to pull from. But, yeah, I thought it was, again, it's, it's yeah, like, it's, this, I think it sits comfortably alongside Barbarian, where it's, you know, there are changes to conventional formulas that aren't, like, they're not going to catch you by surprise for the most part if you've, uh, watched as many movies as we have, but are still going to be satisfying. So I think it's it, it just ranks so highly for me because we don't get slasher movies anymore. Mm-hmm. Not really. I mean, the, what was the closest one that we've had in recent years was fucking Malignant. Well, Malignant's a slasher movie. There's no question yeah. whether it's close or not. I mean, they, but, they did a new Scream that I heard was pretty good. and I watched that too. <laughs> Yeah. There's a lot of movies this year, never mind. Yeah, I didn't watch that. That was fun. It was Maybe. a lot of fun. Yeah, I oh, I don't know if... It's not... Yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the difference is that, like, yeah, we don't live in that era of, like, 79 to 89, where it's just, like, the amount of, like, low-budget but effective slashers are happening. Like, you know, there's no Tom Savini's of the day that are going ham, just, like, taking any project where they can do multiple decapitated heads and neck blood squirts and all the rest of that. And you don't have, like, seven other countries firing on all cylinders also shooting out low-budget schlock. So that is the difference. It's, like, basically, you know, you've got some pretty limited options. I mean, the whole film industry is just, like, there's not a lot of room for anybody that's not making buku bucks. Um... But, yeah, no, I hear you. And for all those reasons, like, it wasn't... Again, I I have no real complaints. It was just, like... Every time I see those kinds of movies that come out in horror where people go fucking apeshit, I'm like, this really better blow me away. And most of the time, I feel like... Oh, this is a good movie, but, like, this doesn't blow me away. And the... You know, at least for me, and I know obviously everybody's different taste, but like The Witch was one of those movies where like I heard people were like, "It's incredible," and then I watched it, I was like, "Oh, that's fucking incredible." Yeah, it took me forever to fucking convince you. I know, 
And, and, you know, again, it's I'm a slut for natural light. I'm sorry, but, like, you do a movie like that, I'm going to fucking hard nut. And the other one was It Follows. Like, It Follows felt like... Part of it was because I was kind of getting back into horror in some ways, but it was also just, like, that combo of, like, faux future past Detroit with, like, bit-crushed 8-bit music from a guy who's famous for doing video game soundtracks and... And the whole nature and the visual style of it was like that felt legitimately different and like inspiring. It's still yeah. one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I, I watched it, I think, on Halloween. Mm. Um, uh, while I was writing charts at work, and that movie still fucking holds up, man. Yeah. yeah. So well. You want to talk about Nope? Oh yeah, I saw Nope too. I watched a lot of movies this year. Yeah. So, nope, obviously Jordan Peele's new movie, and, I, you know, not that there's really tons to spoil, but I'll say two things. One is that this is easily my favorite movie by him. Yes, we were talking I... about it the other night. Like, I, I think that you can make an argument that Get Out is a better movie, but this is just more to my taste, and I loved the performances of everybody involved. I also loved to see Michael Wincott back in something. Like, that mm-hmm. had me... That was what got me into the theater, because I saw that he was in it, and I was like, oh, well, I'm obviously going to go fucking see Top Dollar show up in something. But it was also... The other thing that killed me was, like, I walked out of that movie because we saw it was Alexa and her, her boss and... Uh, her soon-to-be husband, and I was like, I'm pretty sure Jordan Peele just binged Neon Genesis Evangelion and decided to make this. And then I found out that that was, yep, like, 100%. definitely an inspiration, and I was like, no fucking shit. And it did what um, Shin Godzilla and some other... Well, really, that's the only other movie I can think of, where basically, like, they make a serious movie that's a creature feature slash, like, creature disaster movie, and Shin Godzilla is very different because it's, like... It's just very different in some ways. But, like, they treat it seriously. And they give you this threat that, like, works really well. And I was very impressed with the visuals and the the visual turns it takes as far as the creature. And, like, I really liked these characters. Like, I thought it was... The the brother and sister dynamic I thought was phenomenal. I know a lot of people online were complaining about it. Yeah, they're like, oh, these are underwritten half-baked characters. I was like, are we watching the same movie? You have siblings? Yeah, yeah. People are fucking idiots. But. Um, no, I fucking love that movie. Yeah. Um, we have the same stance on us. I think that movie is fucking stupid. Yeah. I, th- it's, I it's think it's not it, like a it, bad made movie. No, it's just a dumb fucking movie. It's a it's a dumb story with a dumb ending. Yeah. And it it there was too many threads in that. I I still uh, I'm fucking blanking on his first movie. Get out. Yeah. Get out. I still love Get Out. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are movies that I love that I can't watch again and again, and then there are movies that I love that I can watch fucking over and over again. Like, I just rewatched A Nice Tale for, like, the billionth time the other day. Mm-hmm. Fucking love that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mummy. Nope is going to be one of those movies that I can just, like, yeah. throw on, like, Jaws. Yeah. And it has a very similar effect to Jaws, where, like, you don't see it for a long time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and it's got Michael Wincott, so it's like the crow for me. I've yeah. watched the crow any day of the week. Call, 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 bang, fuck, I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this couple orders you a drink at the bar, what do you do? But, yeah. Um, the only other thing I want to talk about is We Own the City, but we'll wait on that till you're done. 
uh, movies on your end. So, <clears throat> uh, quick mention to Pearl, um, prequel, not sequel to X. Uh, Henry Portrait of Serial Killer and Wizard of Oz had a baby. Mm. It's a very good depiction of a person who is probably a serial killer. Mia Goth's performance in that is incredible. She has this one speech in the movie that is so well done. There are... I do have a few issues. I don't think I liked it. I'm not sure if I liked it as much as X. I've only seen it once. Mm -hmm. And I watched it alone very late at night because I couldn't sleep. So it, it was good. But it's, it's very much... Even... Um, even the director said, you know, we were going for, like, a Wizard of oz feel because that was the time period. Sure. That's supposed to take place. But, yeah, no, it's... it's Psycho-sexual murderer. The the killer is a sex maniac. Mm-hmm. Type shit. And just um, a very good portrayal of a person who's a serial killer. And not realize... Or, you know, like a psychopath and not... Realizing that they're a psychopath. Mm. That was fun. Um, there's one other one that came out this year that I want. Well, I know there's two, but... Oh, that didn't come out this year. That didn't come out this year. Deadstream. This is going to sound wholly like something that you would not want to watch. I will probably force you to watch it because I think you will love it. It is a found footage movie. It is based around a, a live streamer, like a Twitch streamer. You're physically hurting me now. Who goes to spend the night in a haunted house. Is one of his challenges or whatever. Well, oh, I'm shocked that you like this. Oh, wait, 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 I'm wait, so wait, shocked wait, wait, Ben wait, wait, likes wait, this. Wait, 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 wait. It is the closest thing that we've gotten to a modern day Evil Dead 2. Okay. It's got the grossness. It's got like the. But weird... I like Evil Dead One better. Shut the fuck up. I do. Uh, it's 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 so much fun. It's so much fun. It's funny. It's well done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was very very surprised by it. I can't remember where I heard about it. Look, I watched that one movie with you. Yeah, no, this is different. No, I know what I'm saying. I like I've watched some found footage. I've gone through. You it. like one? I know there's one that you like. <laughs> And it's as above, so below, which and everybody is, else hates. I don't hate it. I love that movie. Yeah, well, I, I just couldn't like understand like. That do I you like the Blair Witch? No, but as above, so below, they go into little holes, and that's scary to me. It's effective because a it's got some seriously sick. You just like caves. I know. Well, but they're that's scary. It. That's all it is. You no, 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 you like caves. no, no. But there's some like straight up Death Spell Omega like black metal album art visuals in it in the later part. Yes, and she stiff arms a fucking demon from hell. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, and yes, the visuals in that movie are. I love that movie. Yeah, I. It, yeah, I just think it's that a it's, hell of a lot more fun than the Pokepsi tapes is. Yeah, which I also Her love. name is Slave. Yeah, I love that movie, but like it makes me feel a little bit icky when I watch yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. It's way too dumb for me to feel icky, but but it's fun. I mean, those are the two that I enjoy, and yeah. But anyways, okay, so Deadstream or whatever it's called. It's it's very much an accurate portrayal of someone who there's this whole through line about you kind of figure out why 
but he w- he was canceled mm-hmm. at some point and uh, like made his apology video on YouTube and everything and like got banned from Twitch and all these other like all this other shit lost a bunch of sponsor deals and <laughs> throughout like the whole movie he will be drinking what I believe is an energy drink and he'll he'll like he'll, oh yeah oh man I'm just so thirsty I really need to you know I need to boost my electrolytes and he'll start drinking and be like oh no turn the can around so the camera it's it's very self aware yeah and the 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 way the ghosts act is it's very evil dead mm-hmm. it's it's one one two army of darkness it's very much that thing and that's that's what got me to watch it because like okay. i kind of watched the trailer i was like yeah maybe it's one of those things that Mariah and i can watch one night and then someone's like no this is like evil dead like just like if you like the evil dead movies you'll like this and i was like all right, I like what do you movies. mean? And we started, <laughs> we started watching, and I was like, ah, no, I get it now, yes. Okay. Yeah, that was fun. Alex and I watched. She had never seen any of them. We watched the first two. I've still never seen Army of Darkness, and we've been meaning to watch it. So Because I think we were supposed to go see Evil Dead in the theater, and then for one reason or another, we couldn't do it. So She also saw The Exodus for the first time this year. I love that fucking movie. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, that sounds interesting. I feel like I'd watch that fairly willingly. It's on. It's a. Uh, I'm not gonna watch it by myself. Don't tell me. I'll watch it. I have Shutter. It's on Shutter. I'll watch it with you. <clears throat> All right. Got any other movies from 2022? Nope. Okay. So I want to talk about briefly. We own this city, which is a miniseries that was on HBO, and it's directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green. It's written by. Who did what? Name doesn't ring a bell for me. Or are you just naming the director? I'm just naming the director. Um, it's written by George Pelicanos and David Simon. So George Pelicanos was the guy who wrote the... No, I apologize. Um, he's not. But Justin Fenton was a uh, Baltimore Sun reporter who wrote the book that the show's based on. And it's uh, nonfiction. So uh, let me back up and say David Simon might be a familiar name as well as Ed Burns. They were the writer's and uh, producers for The Wire and Baltimore Homicide Life on the Street. And um, so if you're a fan of The Wire, you've probably already seen this show. But if you're like me, you may not have known it ever existed. I just happened to read The Washington Post and there was an article that was basically like, if you're a fan of The Wire, you should watch this show just to see how much we failed to heed the call of The Wire. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, and I started reading about it. I was like, this sounds really depressing. And Alexa and I watched like half of the first episode and she turned to me and said, this can't be based on a true story. True story. Tell me this isn't a true story. And we looked it up and was like, oh, this is nonfiction. And holy fucking shit, is it depressing? Because... What it's about is post uh, the Freddie Gray riots in Baltimore. The it's just about basically the same shit the wire is about in the one sense of the incredible rampant corruption of Baltimore and the Baltimore police especially. But it's uh, primarily about the gun trace task force, which now lo- no longer exists. And John Bernthal, who I mostly think of as that dude who's in the first season of The Walking Dead, but is in a bunch <laughs> of other stuff and often plays like a cop type character. He was the Punisher. He was the Punisher briefly too. He plays Sergeant Wayne Jenkins, who is like a real person. And basically everybody in the show is playing a real person. And 
I don't think there's any compound characters. And so much like The Wire, you see a very long-term, multi-tiered, multi-scaled investigation occurring. And the show does not hold your hand. Like, it just starts jumping timelines from fucking the go. And it can be a little disorienting at first, but if you're able to follow The Wire and stuff like that, like, you'll feel right at home pretty quickly. It's, it's like, it's so fucking depressing and it the thing that really like shook me was like i didn't know this even happened and like this just happened uh 2018 and 19 where when the corruption charges came up and it was happening in the years before that like this isn't that old like i just don't live in baltimore and i mean there's been so much unrest in this country because of racial injustice and you know cop violence and all sorts of stuff and it it's just like wow, I feel like a piece of shit because I didn't even, I just didn't even know this. Like, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's, and fucking John Bernthal is incredible in it. Like, he is so good. But it's definitely a brutal watch. It's only six episodes long and you will not feel good at the end of it. And (laughs) the best part about it is like, like The Wire used to do where it would kind of give you these like montage wrap-ups. This gives you this wrap-up where, like literally the mayor that comes in at the end of the series gets indicted for tax evasion like a year later while she's mayor and then like the next mayor comes in and gets indicted for like you know it's just like they're listing all the oh this is who came in and this is what happened like these are the charges they caught as officials of the city in this that and the other position and you're just like holy fucking shit so don't recommend if you want to feel good but do recommend if you want to see an incredible crime drama feel like you're being somewhat socially conscious by being aware of like horrific stuff but also knowing that there's essentially no cure for the cancer of corruption in the big city. I also watched an HBO series about crime that's based on a true story by a writer mm-hmm. who's a journalist. Okay. Tokyo Vice. Oh, yeah. Did you like it? I fucking loved it. Oh, okay. Ken Watanabe, bro. Yeah, like, yeah. It's got Ken Watanabe, and then it's got the guy from Baby Driver, who I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah. Ansel, whatever. Yeah. It's um, okay. I just kind of hate looking at his face. Yeah, he's not, like, doesn't have a lot of charisma. But Jake Allstein, I want to get the book. I haven't I haven't gotten it yet. But all based on true events. And I'm just, like, a sucker for Yakuza shit, so... And Ken Watanabe plays a detective in it, and it's... Mm. But it, you know, it's very much the... What is the corruption surrounding the Yakuza in the 90s, I think it happened? Because yeah. Because during the 90s. Uh, it was funny, too, because I ended up watching a... Vice mini doc mm-hmm. where they it was about which we might have talked about on the podcast before or maybe I was just talking to you about it not in content zone but um, the fall of the Yakuza and how they were taking out in Japan which was all very bureaucratically which is hilarious mm-hmm. but they meet uh, the documentarians meet up with Jake Aldestein who I guess still lives in Japan mm-hmm. And he takes them to meet, like, a Yakuza crew. Mm. And they all look and are dressed like shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not that 80s, 90s, crazy cool suits and... No, the, the, the Yakuza boss is wearing these fucking short shorts and he's sweating. And it's just... Oh, man. Yeah. They're not doing well. But the, the, the show is very, very good. The... It's, 
mainly the Japanese actors. The Japanese actors in that. Because if you are a fan of anything live-action Japanese, there is a lot of stuff. Is Tata Nobu Asano in it at all? I can't remember. Probably. I have to imagine. He shows up in, like, anything that's... I'm surprised that uh, Beat Takeshi's not in it yet. Yeah. He'll probably be in season two. I'm waiting for that shit with bated breath, because it was, like, I think the first season was eight episodes. Okay. And I finished it, and I was like, give me more! Yeah. But it's it's all about the police corruption and everything, and how newspapers and journalists were, and probably still are, ran in Japan, mm-hmm. and how it needs to be... just. It's very. It's a very interesting look on the Yakuza being a foreigner in Japan. The culture of yeah, silence, it, saving face, all that stuff. Yeah. How the Yakuza view themselves, how other people use... Yeah, all that stuff. It's it's very, very good. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those shows that feels like tailor-made for my interests, and I did... Because you remember when you started watching it, and I was like, oh, i got to check that out, and then I just never got around to it and completely forgot until you brought it up, so... Yeah, you don't usually watch shows while they're still airing anyway. That's true, and I think we both started but didn't finish the Cyberpunk Edge Runner show, which I did really like, and has, like, especially with that intro, it's like Big Foodie Cootie vibes and stuff like that. Um, I think it might even be the same animation studio. No. I don't think, no, no I don't think it? Trigger. It's Trigger. I don't think Trigger did Foodie Cootie. Yeah, you're right. It, it, and, because I'm thinking, because Foodie, it was uh, Kill a Kill. They did Kill a Kill, um... Gorin Lagan, right? Promare, but, but Kill a Kill has that foodie cootie energy to a point. Like it's like yeah. it feels older than it is. It's got that like bumpy, bouncy, like '90s kind of a feel where everything's like come alive comic book in a more of like a big Western influence with fourth still... wall breaking shit yeah. all the time. Yeah. Very much like picking apart the media of both manga and yeah. yeah, or just like allowing it to express itself way beyond the typical confines, but. Yeah, we, neither of us finished that, so we'll have to gush on that another day. Um, I do want to just run through, real quick, three movies that I saw this year for the first time. Two. Of, oh. I, I have one more series. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to go into, but I'm just going to briefly mention, which is probably one of the, one of, we were talking about my birthday money that I want to spend, and I think I'm going to pick up the entire Child's Play collection, because the Chucky series, I have only watched season one, because for whatever reason, only season one is on Peacock. And I don't want to go through the trouble of having to get signed into a sci-fi or a USA account mm. for streaming. But, man, the Chucky series is so much fucking no. fun. Is Brad Dorff back for that? Yes, he is. Really? They all are. Oh, wow. Brad Dorff, uh, what's the, what's, what's the actress? Lily, it's not Lily Tomlin, no. it's, um, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jennifer I, Tilly? Yes. Jennifer Tilly uh, plays Tiff. She's back. Is Brad Dorff's daughter back from Curse and Seed? Yep. Nice. Yep. 100%. It's, and it's, it's Chucky murdering middle schoolers. It's so good. And it's funny. And it's, it's good. It's good. And it's, it doesn't have the same high quality gag kills as, I know you haven't seen Curse or Colt yet, but they, and I forgot how good and fun the kills were in Colt of Chucky, Mm -hmm. but they showed some scenes from it. And I was just like, holy shit. I fucking loved that movie. I need to buy these. Yeah, yeah. I know, well, it was funny, because it's one of those series, Alexa and I watched the original Child's Play a couple years ago on Halloween. I think it was in 2020. And uh, I was like... Because they... I hated... I didn't think... 
by the time I was more horror aware, it was like post Bride of Chucky, and he was like a sort of goth girl alt icon kind of a you thing. You also any you go to a you go to anywhere in a fucking mall that has a slightly dimmer lit place, you're gonna find a fucking Chucky doll. Yeah, and that was like super unappealing to me. So I always had this image of what they were like, and it just worked out well because the first movie is really more of like an action. It's horror to a point, but it's like an action suspense movie as much. There's like wild car chases and all sorts of ridiculousness. And it's a ton of fun. And then the second movie is better in some ways. And like, but I, I still really like the first one. I skipped the third one entirely. And then Alex and I recently watched Bride of Chucky and I expected to like it. But like, I was like, oh my fucking God, I get it now. I understand why this was such a big deal in like a post screen world. It was... It was very, like, on the money. The soundtrack was killing me. It was just, like, all the shit I listened to in middle school. And I'm like, yep, this was designed for me. Then I just, you know, was too snooty. But, yeah, that's funny. So I'll, I will have to check that out at yeah. some point. Parts of it kind of feel like a fucking fever dream. Mm. But it, it's it's just so much fun. And yeah. it's Brad Dorf being Chucky. Like, you yeah. can't really go wrong. So, at your suggestion i finally followed one alex and i watched the black coat's daughter mm. and uh this is directed by oz perkins and i i figured out the twist pretty quickly so did i yeah but i was fine with that because i also thought i knew where it was going to go and it went exactly there and i was thrilled with it because it was like a pretty miserable movie and it was well acted and it was again it's one of those where it's like the performances and the way that they use the music and sound where it's like the narr the who's bad and what's happening is unclear and it's like is some of this metaphorical is some of this literal and like it doesn't make you draw the distinct like uh give you an answer and it just allows you to enjoy it on like fucking hereditary at the end of it and i was so just pleasantly surprised. It was so my kind of movie. And I I had, like, nothing bad to say about it. We finished, I was like, that was fucking great. Like, no, yeah. no, no notes, you know? Yeah. I think there was one thing that annoyed me, but I don't even remember it. So that's just how inconsequential it was. Yeah, his other movie that I saw, which was... It's, it's got... It's... It, it's got a title... I am the pretty thing that lives in the house or some shit. Yeah. Um, was a bit more defi uh, uh, divisive. Mm. Divisive. Divisive for me. I know Mariah liked that one a lot. I liked the Black Coat's Daughter more. I thought it was okay. Uh, you're not a fan of ghost movies to begin with, though, so I wouldn't necessarily completely recommend that one. But I started watching them because of Red Letter Media. I still haven't seen Gretel and Hostel yet. Yeah. Uh, partially because... Any horror movie that is PG-13 kind of throws me off. Yeah. I don't know why. I can't say whether I have or haven't seen a PG-13 horror movie that I hated, but who knows. Uh, okay, so the two of the other movies are, and I kind of want to jump out of horror. So I finally watched, because I'd heard good things about this for ages, and... I I watched Heat a couple years ago. Like Heat was one of those movies that, as a kid, I always wanted to watch because it had all these good actors, and I knew it to be like a pretty bitchin', like crime heist 
action flick, but mm-hmm. it's also, it was one of those where it always, you know, it's a double VHS, so you knew it was fucking long. And I just never watched it. And then we finally watched it um, in our old apartment, like, loud as fuck until late into the night. Like, it's it's one of those movies where, like, they make gunshots sound like gunshots. Like, holy shit. And I'm like, man, like, I have watched so little Michael Mann. And he's got a lot of... He always has stuff in his movies that kind of annoys me. And the dialogue's not always the very best, but it's like his movies look incredible, they sound great, and, you know, they typically have good people. So, all that's to say, I watched Manhunter, mm. and I was like, are you fucking, fucking kidding yeah. me? I was like, this has been sitting here my whole life, because it's got the dude who plays Kane from RoboCop 2, that tall yep. motherfucker, and it's got Grisham from CSI, and I love both of those guys. And it's, it is like the most... The only other movie that I could say is as 80s like cop movie and it's hard to say which one's more of it because this i think this is kind of the creme to the creme but creme de la creme but um is to live and die in la by freaking which has the same guy who plays grisham in csi yep. whose name escapes me it's uh William Peterson, and he's, like, in both movies, just, like, a piece of shit. Like, yep. not as much in this one as he is in To Live and Die in L.A. He's just, like, a total scumbag and, like, but thinks he's a good guy. But it's, it, like, the fucking visuals, all that, like, neon, all that glass, all the, the, the whites, the lights. Like, it almost feels like a parody, but it's of the era. And it's, like, oh, my God. And then it's, I think, Tangerine Dream does the soundtrack and... It's just like I was like, this is fucking awesome. It's a it's a real shame they didn't get to make any more Hannibal Hannibal Lecter movies with that cast. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I love Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, I but my thing is like seeing Manhunter and then also seeing which I know you haven't really watched, but uh, Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal, where it's, he played it far more subtly. Yeah, and I still love Silence of the Lambs, and I love all of the Hannibal movies they made with Anthony Hopkins, but, like, it's a little, like, his performance is, like, a little, like, uh, over the top sometimes. Yeah. Where he, he just lives with some fire beans, and goes, and I'm yeah. like, mm. Yeah, I mean, Brian Cox is, I mean, Hannibal's really not the focus of the story in this no. so much, but Brian Cox, I think, does a really nice job playing that character, and, yeah, I agree. Like, I think that there's, but, I mean, ultimately... I'd have to say, I think Sons of the Lambs is, like, one of those examples of, like, it's basically a perfect film. Like, how are you going to yeah. fuck with that movie? Yeah. Like, it's it's perfect. It changed the landscape of, like, you know, weird psychosexual cop thriller movies. Like, there's so many movies that I like that are basically direct descendants of that. Uh, and, you know, I watched it the night I proposed to Alexa, and it was like... I, I had not watched it in ten years, and was like, wow, this movie. is a fucking perfect film. Like, you know... Just watching everybody at the top of their game. But, uh, but yeah, Manhunter was just... I, I, I thought I would like it, but I was like, oh, this is, this is like the perfect action crime movie. And it's, you know, there's a little bit of it that's a little silly, but it also has Joan Allen. Yep. Joan Allen's wonderful. Like, I, I always love to see her and stuff. And she was a very different character than the typical, like, austere, severe Joan Allen she plays in most things, which was nice. And then the other one that was a big surprise, I won this in that raffle four or five years ago when we went to the Giallo Festival in um, Philly. 
I got this Blu-ray of this movie called The City of the Dead. And so it's by John Llewellyn Moxie. It's from 1960. And the two uh, big names in it, at least for me, were Christopher Lee, and then now a big name, but she's not in much, is Venetia Stevenson. And so there are two things that are funny about it. One is that there's an early on quote from Christopher Lee that is the start of Dra- like is the sample that's in the start of Dragula by Rob Zombie. And so I like as soon as he said it, I was like, Why do I know this? This is this is tickling my brain. This is driving me crazy and I just was like, Fuck it, I gotta go on who sampled this and um was like, Oh my god. And you know, that's like a song that's like burned into my soul. And it, but it's a black and white, like, you know, old school horror movie. And so it's it's postcode, but or pre code, I guess post like it's during the regular ratings, I guess. I guess nineteen sixty. But it's not like a gore film or anything like that. It's an atmosphere no. movie. And it's all all big fog, dream, weirdness, and a lot like some of the movies we talked about tonight, it has a big like mid movie oh whoa, we're about to follow, like, you know, things just change drastically as far as casting, let's put it that way. And the the first main, like, you know, character, victim, sort of reason for the second half of the plot is Venetia Stevenson, and she is fucking charming. Holy shit, like, I fell in love in black and white. I watched it by myself, and I was like, this is, this is, like, so good. And it... And it's funny because City of the Living Dead by Fulci is is one of my favorite Fulci films, even though it's like so dumb in so many ways. But you could say that about a lot of Fulci stuff. But like, well, we almost watched this at the Har- Halloween Horror Movie Hootenanny, but instead we watched um, instead what was that movie that we watched with the vignettes, like the oh Asylum. Yes. Yeah. That was so good. Yeah. Yeah, those are Mika's production films. I like a lot. You know, and especially because you typically always get a Peter Cushing appearance, you get a Christopher Lee appearance, and you know they're they're the kind of actors who like they ham it up a little bit, but they add a little gravitas to like whatever. They're professionals. Yeah, you know, and they they're surrounded by people that are you know not as interesting typically, but yeah, I so as far as movies go, I think that that thoroughly covers it. Were there any other ones you saw this year for the first time that blew you away? St. Maud was one of them. Okay. I really, really like St. Maud. A24 film. Heavily religion-based and religious trauma-based. Mm-hmm. And it, it was one of the few movies, because you know I fucking hate this shit, but it's one of the movies where the whole movie, you're like, is she crazy? Or is this happening? Mm-hmm. And, but the, the acting in it and the portrayal in it and... It, it's it's so it good. Worked. It was good enough. To yeah, work it for was. You. It, it worked well. The ending was good. That's usually my problem with those movies. Are you telling me you didn't like the ending of Censor? Um, and the uh, last film I will bring up. The first half of Under the Skin. <laughs> no, we'll finish that in a couple years. I did really like it. Yeah, so did I. But talking to you is more fun than watching any movie. Oh. Is the world of Kanako. It's a Japanese film. I was feeling some type of way that night. I think I might have already been a little bit depressed. But I was like, I want to watch some Japanese nihilism stuff. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to watch 
one of the same movies that I'd watched a billion times. I don't, and it felt wrong watching a Shinya Tsukamoto movie I hadn't watched yet without you that night. And this movie kept popping up on Hulu and pretty much everywhere called The World of Kanako. And holy shit, we talk about starting the Feel Bad Movie Club, man. This is one of those movies that you throw into the fucking Feel Bad Movie Club. Okay. And it has a lot of that uh, Takashi Miike editing where it's very violent and jarring. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have I you know, seen this? I have not, but I it's one of these movies that, yeah, similarly I've been like, I'm, I've been supposed to watch this forever. It is... Woo! Man, it is nihilistic. Yeah. Long story short, it's a it's a washed up, drunken, awful ex police detective who was fired from the police department, and he gets a call from his ex wife saying that their daughter Conoco is missing. But it's it's also he's the guy from Cure and Pulse yes. and yep. a ton of other really good shit. Yep. Yeah. You know me. I all know the actor, but I can never fucking remember names. Yeah. It's a great movie. It's it feels very Takashi Miike. There's parts of it where it the he'll be driving the car around really erratically, and then like the color will change, and then like the car will zoom past, and there'll be like. Uh, sound effects via manga or comic books and it's very very violent and very depressing and one of the most nihilistic things I've ever watched but we should definitely watch it at the Feel Bad Movie Club I definitely think you'll be into it yeah yeah it's been on my watch list for a long time it's, it's of... on so much shit for free right now Good to and it's, it's it's on Hulu it's on I think maybe HBO Max but, yeah, no, it's, uh, whoo! But it also had, it, it just felt like this guy was trying to make a Takashi Miike film. Yeah. And somewhat succeeded. Yeah. I wouldn't say he's on the levels, Miike, but I, I enjoyed it, but afterwards, and like a little bit the next day when I woke up, because I worked the next day, I was like, I'm sad. I feel depressed now. And it's not my normal chemical imbalances. And I believe that wraps up all of the movies I can remember watching this year. Okay. That I hadn't seen before. So, I thought I would just jump through. I know you got some stuff, too. So, we both have new jobs this year. Um, I think I've talked about it very briefly, but yeah, I have a new I job. I think we both talked about it very briefly during our last year on wrap-up episode. No, I didn't have the job then. Uh-huh. I didn't get one until May. But anyways, I have a new job. That's That's been really nice. Uh, I also got a new car because even though I love my WRX or loved it, I mean, I still love it, uh, I had a problem that was recurring increasingly frequently that led me to think my engine might be suffering some catastrophic issues in the near future. You keep I getting think, your penis stuck in the tailpipe. I think really realistically what it was was a turbo leak, which is a very hypothetically fixable problem, but still a very expensive one. And I ultimately sold the car for uh, substantially more than I owed on it still and bought a new car. And it's very nice. 
Alex and I went to New Orleans for the first time for the holidays. That was really good. Big fan of shrimp and grits. I mean, I already knew that going to New Orleans, which is part of why we picked it, but... You Rhea, just like anything that gives you vinyl diarrhea. That's true. It was, like, basically all biscuits, gravy, uh, fried chicken, shrimp and grits, and oysters. It was, and you get traveler's poops. Like, what were you thinking? It it was mostly fine. I only really started to get bad, bad stomach problems when I came back and switched back to Jersey food, but... Uh, I want to mention three shows I went to, or, I'm sorry, I'm jumping past your life events, I guess you've had a couple. Yeah, uh, there is important I'm mine. saving lives, kissing guys. Yeah, you know. true. Big EMT on campus, mm-hmm. doing 911, and doing transport. Uh, got punched by an old lady the other day, that was mm-hmm. fun. But, uh, God, I love it. Shouldn't have spit in her mouth like you did. She asked me to. Yeah. I do love it. It's super easy being on an ambulance for 12 hours a day. You'd be surprised. Yeah. So far, I don't have any PTSD from the things I've seen, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, there's time. Yeah. Uh, got a new baby. Picked one of those up. Yeah. That's pretty cool. She's yeah. cute. Yeah. Um, she's she's on titty milk, so her ass is a fucking weapon of mass destruction. Sure. When this fucking child farts, it's nothing like my first one. Mm. Oh, my fucking God, dude. She shit herself again. Oh, God, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I now own every major console. <laughs> sure. I mean, other than that, not really much has happened. I got a kid and got a new job. I didn't get a new car. Uh, I'm not a lawyer still. Yeah. I'm not really trying, though, you know? Just going to town on our hooch. There's our OnlyFans content. <laughs> yeah, right? Scully. Scully. Stop looking at your hooch like that. It's bad for the podcast. I must clean it. I must ready it for Uncle Ben. Okay. Um. That is obscene. Scully. Scully. Really, really drinking it in. There's Scully. Okay, Jesus Christ. Come here, sausage dog. I'm Big Bear. Um. Yeah, no, go ahead. Talk about your shows. I ain't got anything else as far as my life. Okay. So, best show of the year for me is going to go into our next episode as far as talking about records. But I went to see... So, I went to a couple shows, not as many as I had anticipated. Actually, although I forgot to put this in. Let me let me mention this first because I completely forgot to put it on the list. So, I saw Sun for the first time in... Almost 10 years. I think I saw them once sober, but I saw them many times when I was still drinking. And it was always a big event because normally we would go to like Philly and New York or DC and Philly or whatever. We would do a lot of like double features when they were on tour. And the first time I saw Sun is like a whole long story in and of itself. It was great. But they did like over 10 years ago, they did this tour called the Shoshin Tour. God, it was like 15 years ago. And they. They were like, we're bringing it back to the origin, which is a huge wall of amplifiers, guitar, bass guitar. Right. You know, we come out in robes. We fo- we smoke up the whole place. We play really loud drone just based on guitar, bass guitar. And it was fun. And it was it was funny tying to NOLA. So the opener for both of those shows was this band, Thou, that were fairly new at the time, New Orleans Sludge Band. And my roommate, 
and I were blown away. They're fucking awesome. They're still fucking awesome, but, like, holy shit. Because they basically did Sludge, and then they mixed in, like, post-rock with it, and it was really good. And, uh... And those tours were cool, but it was also, like, man, like, just be ready for two hours of Super Mega Drone from guitar and bass. Super Mega Drone! And so I get this email about, oh, they're back on tour, but they're doing Shoshin again, and... My friend, who I go to a lot of metal shows with, I was like, look, like, you've never seen Sun. I'm, like, not dying to see them again, especially in this format. But, like, their they're more recent stuff are really interesting records in the one sense, but they're just, like, not what I'm into anymore. And I also don't do tons of disassociative hallucinogens, so, like... Just some, not a ton. Just no, some. it just, you know, when I was really into Sun was, like, when, you know multiple days out of the week I was taking like near lethal doses of DXM and you know music that's very bassy is really good for DXM whereas opposed to music that's like high and peaky like paratronic screechy White House type stuff not good for that and so they have a deep affection for Sun but I also rarely listen to them anymore because it brings me back to like a pretty fucked up headspace but long story short we went to see them at the uh, Union Transfer, and they played for, like, maybe ten minutes if it was that long, and I was like, <laughs> oh, fuck yes. <laughs> and it was also cool because uh, Stephen O'Malley had, like, an array of pedals and, I think, noise generators above and beyond just the electric guitar, and they... It is, it is like, such a punishingly loud force to be there and with those amps, and then in that particular venue, they have a wonderful PA set up, and we sat on the balcony and I was like, we have to get a place where we can legitimately sit. And so they have these like risers without backs that you can stand on. And I was like, we just need to get like a spot on those. Cause I'm telling you, this is going to be like two hours long and you're not going to want to stand for that. Long. I'm not standing for that long. I'm old. And I was so happy. I just basically sat there with my hood up and my heads in my hands and just like took it in. And it was the, the amount of like wobbly, like, Cause the difference is like normally when you hear a sound that's like and it's like that you're like okay but when you hear that and it feels like your bones are shifting with each wobble of the bass and then there'll be just like a shriek of feedback but it's at this like head splitting fucking level you mean like when i saw you play that basement show in philly yeah i felt like i was on drugs yeah i guess i whenever i play live i never feel like i'm loud enough and then people are always like that's one of the loudest things i've ever heard and so i don't have a good it's hard when you're in it. Like, the adrenaline's pumping so hard for me, typically, that I'm not I'm not able to gauge. It always just seems too quiet. But I also have pretty thoroughly thrashed my e- eardrums. But anyways, I was just extremely impressed. I expected it to be good. It was so much better than that. And it really was like, wow, these are guys who, at this point, have been doing this for a very long time. And they're really good at it and like two they played almost if not two hours pretty dang close to it and i felt you know there was moments here and there where it was less about them and more about me like it's hard to concentrate on anything like that for that long but i thoroughly enjoyed it i was i was really extremely pleasantly surprised so that was a an unexpected highlight but i also went to see 200 Stab Wounds, Undeath, Enforced, and Phobophilic. And I went for 200 Stab Wounds and was excited about the possibility that the other bands would be good. It was actually at the First Unitarian. It was a daytime show. It was part of a much larger, what could have been debacle of like, I went from that straight to going to see Les Mis at the Sound, or the Music Academy in Philadelphia, and like had to go take a shower, put a suit on, and like 
show up like I'm part of cultured society. And 200 stab wounds is like the antithesis of that. It was also extra ironic because I had to deal with a homicide case that was a lethal stabbing like a couple days <laughs> I'm later. Sorry, that's not funny. <laughs> I know it's not, but it was also like slightly ironic. Uh, and the nice thing about the night, I'll talk about this more when I talk about the best of in our next episode, but Phobophilic was a band completely unfamiliar to me. They're from Fargo, North Dakota, and they play death metal. And I was like, I bet I could really like these guys. And I was two songs, and I was like, this could probably be the best of the night. Like, the other bands are going to have to really play their asses off. And they did. It was, I have to say, it was one of those shows where, like, every single band had a nice, like, they had their own thing and felt distinct and different. Um, but Phobophilic was, it felt like they... They touched on, it was basically like everything I like about Finnish death metal combined with a lot of the really wonderful impulses of Blood Incantation. It felt very much like a band that probably only resulted from Blood Incantation in some ways, but they are wonderful. I'll speak more about their record in detail, but that was awesome. Then in Force Played, who are like really aggressive thrash crossover thrash hardcore whatever it's basically like hardcore vocals and thrash and thrash instrumentation they're the kind of band that i feel like i probably wouldn't like to listen to at home so much but live i was like god damn these dudes are so mad like they're so <laughs> fucking mad like their their vocalist was like really had that like really aggressive like hardcore scream like but not like super high pitched, just like that barking kind of a thing and they had really good, like, good riffs, good solos, very tight. Um, that was cool. Undeath were an unknown to me, and I kept thinking they were this com- very different band called Mutilatred. Uh, they're basically, like, a modern version of Cannibal Corpse in so many ways. Yeah. And I've never been a huge Cannibal Corpse fan, because they're a little bit too silly most of the time. But they have written some wonderful songs, and... Uh, there's a reason Hammer Smashed Face is, like, still, I would say, like, quintessential death metal track. And they play, like, they have good technical chops, but, like, they write, like, goofy songs a little bit. Like, you know, it's it's not quite to that pizza thrash of municipal waste or anything like that of that era, but it's definitely less serious take on death metal than I'm into. But as far as seeing them live, I thought they were a lot of fun. Um, there was a little bit of, like, beat-down hardcore in the vocals that's... Not my favorite, but worked. And then 200 Sad Wounds I was hoping would be really good. They were fucking awesome. They played, like, every single song they've written thus far. And it was it was crazy. It was, like, their third time in Philly last year. And um, they still brought the big energy. And their record from 2021, their first album, is, like... They're, they're super young. Like, it's, like, they formed, like, a year and a half before. And then they put out this incredibly good, like, ultra-concise teetering at times on like brutal death metal but basically just like super raw but like very catchy well-crafted death metal that has everything from like interesting time changes and short change-ups and tight solos to like really good guitar tone and just like uh single-minded uh primitiveness that really works well for me so that was very cool i saw charlie xcx live you son of a bitch. Yeah, it was good. It was a very expensive show as far as ticket prices, which is not my bag. But I wanted to go. I love her new record. Also going to talk about that on the next episode. But I was disappointed by the fact that 
it's basically lip syncing. So like they play the tracks. There's some variation from like the album versions, but her vocal tracks are just going, and then she sings on top of it sometimes too. But apparently, like I didn't really know that like that's a big thing like Taylor Swift does, and a lot of these people do that. Um, you know, Millie Vanilli might have been. Uh, you know, tarred and feathered back in the day, but now that's just like what a lot of pop people do, mm. especially because with something like Charlie XCX, not so much on her newest record, but her older records like have so much vocal manipulation that I would be shocked for them to pull that off live. Like it's like you know, and so she doesn't attempt to. So it was still fun. Like she was a lot of dancing, cool videos and stuff. But it was, it was way more of a fun show than like one of feeling like, ah, oh, this is an artist performing her art. And it was more of like, I'm with like the entire gay community of Philadelphia having a great time <laughs> and dancing, but like not, I'm not, I was, I was disappointed by that. Like yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that was going to be a thing. And then finally, I would just mention, I saw Immolation for the third time in, I think as many years. Uh, I saw Mortician for like the sixth or seventh time now. And Demolition Hammer. So, Mortician or Mortician, I've said enough about them on this show. They're always fun, but I also feel like I've now heard them do the Mortician, mortician shtick enough times that it's... I, I'll probably cool it on Mortician for a while. Although I was supposed to see them last month, but uh, that was because they were playing with Miasmatic Necrosis. But Immolation remain a great band. Their new record is, is pretty dang solid and were fun. And Demolition Hammer was the big reason we went. They were like a... They basically death metal, but like with a fair amount of thrash thrown in. And their their second record, Epidemic of Violence, I think it is, is like really a cool, unique, like 90s death metal thrash mix. And uh, they're a bunch of fucking old dudes now for the most part. And um, it was good. Like, I wish I knew that record and I knew them more to really be able to be like, oh, man, I'm hearing this song because I definitely don't know them that well. But it was cool to see them and they played fairly tight and I don't mind if they play a little sloppy either. So it was a good time. I do have one last bit of news before we close out this episode sure. because it pertains specifically to this podcast and one of our very, very early episodes. Mm i.e. the first Asian serial killer episode, which was supposed to be Japanese serial killers, but we know who messed up that one. <laughs> and it definitely wasn't because we said she should do that one. But uh, Isai Sagawa died. Yeah, right. And I think you were the one who covered him on that episode, weren't you? Because yeah. I, I covered the rap man. You talked to the killer. I guess I did. No, that was... Uh, we never covered him. I thought we did. I maybe we talked about him, but I covered that guy who killed all those. He killed like his family and did yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah, I covered him on one of the episodes. Yeah, I I did some. I think you did. I think you were the one who covered him for one reason or another. But remember, I can't remember the guy's name. But mine was like that horrible yeah. fucking shit where he got like his wife involved and then. Oh yeah. It was like that family murder stuff. Oh and, god. Yeah, it was like really really awful. Ugh. But yeah, Isaiah Sagawa's dead. Nice. Yeah. Which is funny, because I was not that long ago. Uh, I was like, is it in bad taste if I pick up one of the mangas that he did? Because they are out of print, yeah. so I wouldn't be giving money to him. 
But now they're like ten times. The yeah, price. but now he's fucking dead. So like, there's no way I'm fucking buying one because I'm not yeah. paying that much money for something I can't even actually read. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Good gear. Yeah, it was. Uh, it wasn't wasn't my favorite year, but it was honestly it was a pretty good one for me. I have to say better than 2021 was for me. So yeah, thanks for uh, listening. Hopefully, maybe we talked about something you're on the fence about and now are more inclined to do. Uh, we did watch The Scariest 61st. It was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life and it made me fucking angry. While, like, I was like 20 minutes in, I'm like, I can't, I don't know that I can do this. I do want to mention that. Don't watch it. It's bad. It's real bad. It's fucking bad. And uh, we didn't really cover the other stuff that was extra shitty that we watched, but... That was definitely the highlight worst thing I saw all year. I don't know year. what else we watched that was extra shitty. We finally watched um, Cry the Prostitute. Yeah. That's a good one. Henry Silva's a strange looking guy, but yeah. he sure can beat a woman up. He sure can, Frank. <laughs> he sure can. All right. Well, that'll do it. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Well, now I'm horny. Uh, you guys are probably going to get an extra long BDMFT because you know Dick Fetty likes to go on and on and on about music and I have two different types of media to cover that were not covered in our mainline episode. So we will see you on the fun time. Later, nerds. Later.